All right. <clears throat> Ready for some hulking? I am. I, I am. I am hulked out. Yes. No. No, because that means we're done. No, I, I'm hulked up. Ready to go. Yes. Hulk up. Or something like that. Oh, that's going in somewhere. That just might be the final. That might just be the final end tag for this episode. <laughs> All right then. Okay, a few seconds of sound, and then we'll go in. I mean, silence. That's the opposite of sound. Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and back with me again to finish off the end of Warlock's life, yes, really, is John Wilson. Hello, John. It's been a long road getting from there to here. Yes, we finally have made it to the end of that first stage of Warlock's life, the Counter-Earth story. You know, this is a solid ending to that. Um, it's it's kind of funny to to think about what this character might have been had he never become other things. Had this like, not been canceled? Well, no. If it had been canceled, if it had ended here and never oh. gone on to become anyone else, how might we have looked back? Would we have looked back with reverence, or would it be like Omega the Unknown, just a weird '70s character that no one ever talks about anymore? Yeah. Just kind of like, oh, that was a weird. Remember they did that? Yeah, that was a weird thing. What happened to that guy? Right. I fear it's going to be more of the, it would be more of the latter than of the former. If Starlin had not brought Adam Morlock back, that this whole religious commentary comic would probably have never really been remembered that much. As it is, it's almost always neglected in favor of the Starlin comics. True. Although I do wonder, hmm. I mean, if the Starlin stuff had never happened, because that basically does overshadow this, but if that never happened, would this have stood out more? There are things from this time period that kind of ended like that, but because they did something different, they stand out a bit still, like uh, Manhunter by uh, Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson in the 70s, where they actually kill him off Hmm. at the end of that. And it's only like the equivalent of like a couple-ish. I mean, he only had like, what... Less than a year of backup stories in Detective Comics, and then like one key guest star in the final issue of the main story. Yeah, but, I don't know that series. I know, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, he might just be one of those things that we occasionally talk about that's sort of you know cool for comics historians. But in yeah, any I, case, this is this is a very significant issue. Yeah, although I was a little wrong when I said it was the end of uh, Warlock's the first section of Warlock's life. I'd say this the second. The first one ended with uh, those Thor issues. Before he came to Counter Earth, when he was just him, right? In my brain, I kind of think of all the him stuff as like prelude <laughs> or prologue. That's it's, the toddler age. 
Yeah, it's really not a story. It's really not a character. It is he he's just a plot device in those issues to serve another to serve someone else's plot line. Um but he becomes a character and a story with the Marvel premiere issues yeah. and then these issues. Marvel premiere one and two, isn't it? Yes. And then Warlock one through eight and then Incredible Hulk 176 through 178. So that's 13 issues of Warlock. It's taken us a while to get through 13 issues, though. Well, we also did have the little tangents, uh, Hulk 158. And Avengers Defenders War. Yes. And also because I'm trying to do these in the order they came out with, more or less. And there mm-hmm. was the Captain Marvel, the uh, Thanos stuff now, because there was a several-month gap between Warlock 8 and these three Hulk issues. Right. So you have all the cool Thanos war going on with Captain Marvel, and then Thanos is gone until he shows up again in Strange Tales and Warlock. Yeah, because the Thanos stuff and Captain Marvel, because that was both of them were bi-monthly, and that started when like Warlock was like at around uh, issue like five or six. Mm-hmm. So Warlock was over half halfway through the uh, Captain Marvel stuff. Although ironically enough, they both ended the same month, more or less. Captain Marvel thirty three was, I believe, the same month as Incredible Hulk one seventy seven. Oh, I hadn't realized that. So okay. they both kind of died at the same time. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Which is kind of ironic, considering the fact that Starlin was nowhere near this yet. Right, yeah. I doubt Warlock was even on Starlin's radar whenever he finished his Thanos storyline, which is basically the end of his Captain Marvel run. He has, like, one more issue after that. Yeah, and then he leaves. He's like, done, out. But Englehart comes on for a while and does some cool stuff, and he, he does a neat Watcher story that... You don't usually hear the phrase, neat watcher story, but yeah, <laughs> he does that in Captain Marvel. <laughs> well, it's just the watcher gets called to, called on the carpet for all of the watching oath breaking that he's been doing. He There's never the- breaks his oath. He tells us that every time he breaks it. Right. But I'm pretty sure that after that story, he really does just show up to watch. Well, they do that. I think every once in a while they realize they've had him breaking the oath too much, and somebody comes along to basically bitch slap him and make him behave for a while. Okay. Because then they make a point of like, I have interfered in the past, but I will not now. I'm just making sure you know I'm not. That's why I'm not helping. Right. Is anyone looking? Can I help? Hello. <laughs> and then they eventually get back to the point where he's helping every five minutes or interfering, and then he gets in trouble again. Kind of like Warlock who always gets in trouble and has to turn into a cocoon, which is what happened last episode, or yes. last issue at least. Yes, the last one, that's right, because he uh, was killed at the end. Or being, which, being killed, I should say. You, we should never have another episode because he died, right? Yes, that's right. He was over. He was deed. He was deed. I'm actually bringing that up real quick, just to double check with myself. I'm like, I think he was... I'm trying to remember where he was at the very end. Uh, he had been crucified and turned into a cocoon. Yes, that's right. He did turn to Cocoon at the end, so he was dead. Okay. Woohoo. Just making sure. And so now we have the uh, postmortem. The funeral. The funeral for a friend. Or Hulk's friend. That's a good idea for a story. That's a good <laughs> name for a story, I think. And speaking of stories, let me tell. Let me go over first with everybody what happens in this one. So then we start babbling about it. They don't go, wait, wait what? I thought he was dead. And synopsis? Yep. Incredible Hulk 178. Triumph on Terra 2. Plotted by Jerry Conway. Scripted by Tony Isabella. Penciled by Herb Trimp. Inked by Jack Abel. 
Colored by Linda Lessman. Lettered by Alan Kupperberg. Story conceived and edited by Roy Thomas. With a cover by Herb Trimp. Original cover date was August 1974. And the on-sale date, as far as we can tell, is April 30th, 1974. And since issue 177 actually had an on-sale date of April 2nd, that means both those issues came out in the same month. So Marvel's double shipping started back in the 70s. <laughs> and the original cover price was 25 cents. This issue starts out by showing Adam's death again as the man-beast's death ray kills him, and he returns to his cocoon. Being forced to watch this upsets Bruce Banner, and he hulks out to a truly pissed-off Hulk, screaming, You killed Hulk's friend! The Hulk smashes the hell out of the army, and the man-beast's four lieutenant new men. Then he takes the cocoon and jumps away. He lands in a quiet forest area and waits for Adam to come out until his simple mind is able to process what has actually happened. Adam Warlock is dead. He stays at the cocoon all night until he's found by Procunus and the good new men. Together, they take Adam's cocoon to a quiet cave that can be used as a tomb. Back in the White House, the man-beast has abandoned possessing Rex Carpenter's body and is using his own form to order the military to prepare for war. Herb Trimp then gives us another awesome splash page showing the American military of Counter-Earth revving up for war with a really creepy headshot of the Man-Beast overseeing it all in the middle. Finally, everything is ready and the Man-Beast presses the button to activate the country's nuclear arsenal and nothing happens. The generals were smart enough to recognize a madman when they saw one and made sure the weapons were not activated. At that moment, the Hulk and the army of good new men attack. While the two armies of new men engage each other, the Hulk and Man-Beast face off. Outside the White House, our two new human characters, Vincent and Vulper, can hear the battle happening inside and go in to investigate. They find a random new man walking around. As they follow him, he monologues to himself about his current job to kill the real Rex Carpenter and his sister, Estrella. Since this new man was considerate enough to fill him in on his plan, they follow him to the Carpenter's cell and knock him out from behind, freeing the captives. Meanwhile, back in the cave, the recorder and Adam's human friends, Ellie, Jason, and David, see a strange blue light emanating from the cocoon. Inside the White House, the battle rages on, and the Hulk is about to kill the man-beast, when he is interrupted by Adam Warlock. Yes, Adam is back, and now has the power to devolve the evil new men back into their original animal forms. The country now needs to be rebuilt, but Adam cannot stay. He's going to go off into space and find other worlds where the man-beast, or, you know, evil, has not yet been exposed and helped there. He says farewell and departs, leaving the Hulk strangely at peace. This issue has been reprinted a couple times, mostly the same places as the last two issues, but to bear completion's sake, and also because there are a few differences, we're going to go over them again anyway. And some of these are foreign reprints, so if I am butchering your native language, I apologize. We have Le Incredible Hulk, number 37, which is a French-Canadian reprint from 1974. Marvel Treasury Edition, number 24, from 1979. Hulk Gamma, number 10, which is a French reprint from 1980. The Essential Hulk, volume 5, from 2002. Marvel Masterworks Warlock, Volume 1, from 2007. Essential Warlock, Volume 1, from 2012. And you can also get it digitally on the Incredible Hulk Complete Collection DVD-ROM from 2007, 
or online on Comixology.com or Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. Got me back to those powerful cousins on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hope. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast. FFCast.Libsyn. Com. And back from synopsis. So, that's the story. So the cover on this one is pretty neat because it does have, like, Warlock hovering in the background. In this issue, the death of Warlock, the fate of a universe. He already mm, died? Not, not And not really the fate of a universe. I mean, no. a planet. Now, going with the Man Beast plans, maybe two planets. Right. Because he does talk about wanting to take over the original Earth, but not... He didn't say anything more than that. I mean, he wasn't even going dreaming as big as taking on the High Evolutionary. They say to him, maybe the High Evolutionary, sir. And he's like, eh, maybe. And, of course, with his arms spread, he, you know, they're very much slapping the Christ allegory right there on the cover. But it's in the background because this is a Hulk smash comic, and, and he gets the focus. Yes. Like any good Jesus story, you know, the Hulk shows up. Right. Starts beating up people. <laughs> I never did see the Passion of the Christ. Is that what happened? <laughs> That would be totally awesome if they just dropped the Hulk in the middle of that. I think you're in my awesome as another person's blasphemy. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I didn't say the original material. I, I said the movie. Oh, so, God, I'm getting, I'm getting lynched, aren't I? Not by me. Okay, good. But maybe by some. Sorry. But anyway, yes. So we have Adam looking very Christ-like on the cover with lots of Kirby Crackle going full down his middle. And the Hulk yelling that he, you kill Hulk's friend, for that Hulk will destroy you. Destroy the world. And the man beast is all like, what? You didn't even. On the bottom corner there. And Hulk's just beating up new men. Including that blue one, which I'm not really sure what he's supposed to be. Well, probably smashed. 
Yeah. I think after a while of New Men, they stopped trying to go, well, this is going to be the porcupine guy, this is going to be the pig guy, and this is going to be the bear guy, and they just kind of make generic, animalistic people. Because mm-hmm. you really can't tell what they are, used to be, for the most part. And by the way, Hulk doesn't try to destroy the world in here either. No. That does not happen. It's a very lying cover. It's a very lying cover. But on the opening page, he is um, on his crucifixion slab. Yes, we pretty much pick up about a minute before we left off last time. Because Warlock's still here, and we get to watch Banner being forced to uh, watch him being killed. He does his whole, why have you abandoned me speech? And then he turns back into a cocoon. Now I have to wonder, how does his arms move? I mean, he's obviously tied down, I guess. How did his arms move to become a cocoon? Yeah, go into a cocoon. What does it look like they do? It looks like they're outstretched, and then they dissolve into cocoonness with the rest of them. Oh, maybe. His legs, tell me, his legs are spread apart. So you think that's what happens? He actually, it's not that the cocoon goes out, it comes out of him, like, goes around him. You think he actually dissolves into the cocoon? Like, the <laughs> cocoon isn't, has, like, if you were to break it open, there'd be, at this moment, there'd be nothing there yet. It would just be cocoon, like, solid. That's what it looks like from the art. That he turns into some sort of energy form, and then the a fibrous form, and then a fibrous form shaped like a cocoon. Now, I've always been really fascinated by the whole concept of a cocoon, of a pupil a metamorphic stage process for an animal to develop. When a worm spins a cocoon around itself, and that out of that cocoon is a flying insect... Like, that's some really significant changes. So what happens on the inside? Does he become goo? I've been very, very fascinated. I, w- I would love to see some sort of, like, scientific diagram of what actually happens inside a cocoon. But as it is, yeah, I think the cocoon that we see there, if someone went up to it and cut it open, there might be blasts of energy or something. But I do think that Warlock is being reformed. Yeah, so, th- so it's not like it just goes around him and that body is still there. You're going right. with the theory that it's kind of like he's completely dissolved and then the cocoon thing comes about, you know, is what's left over, and then he just reforms inside there completely. Now, this is a one-instance conclusion that I'm drawing. I'm all, I'm all looking at the art right here. I'm not comparing other cocoons. Like, you can you can learn a lot about the, the, the doctor's regeneration by compiling all of the stuff they say about it from all the different regenerations. You can you can put a lot of ideas together and form a big theory about it. And I'm just looking at one thing here. But that's what it looks like from this one thing. True. Maybe there's a difference, though, because, I mean, remember, he did go into Cocoon after issue, what, four? When uh, Eddie Roberts got killed? But did he we, didn't die. He just went into Cocoon. Like It was like a morning Cocoon. Did we see him go into a Cocoon, or was he just in a Cocoon the next time? He was just in one. Okay. And from the dialogue, we know, you know, we learned what happened, but we never saw it. Right. But I have to wonder if that's a different thing. Maybe, you know, it's kind of like the Hulk's transformations. I mean, Bruce Banner changes into the Hulk and Hulk changes back to Bruce Banner. But there's plenty of evidence from the comics to suggest that each of those transformations is a unique thing. And so he could turn into a slightly different monster each time. Hmm. Warlock's ability to turn into a cocoon and regenerate could be a little bit different each time. Again, like the Doctor's regenerations. Yeah, and I guess depending on all, maybe it also depends on the uh, how much is needed or how much change is needed, right? Or how much damage needs to be fixed. 
notice that the cocoon does not have any of the um, typical like bubbles on the on the going down the sides. Or oh yeah, the that. stuff that sticks out of it. Yeah, yeah the, it's, just, the, it's just basically very much a cocoon. Right. Just look. There's going to be a design to this cocoon that I think is from Kirby that will then be used a whole lot later on every time he's in a cocoon. But here it's just a <laughs> here it's just a dildo. Yeah. There's not much to it. It's exactly what it looks like, actually. I, I, I can't stop seeing it. <laughs> Especially with like the way the fibers are drawn towards the narrow end of the top. Yeah. Yeah, it does come to a point like that. Yep. I suggest that we turn the page. Yeah. Before, we, <laughs> before your wife comes out and goes, what the hell are you reading? <laughs> no more. Bad, John. Bad. Well, she already, okay, so yesterday I was reading my comics uh, to my son at bedtime, and this is not a dildo story, so don't, don't worry, um, but, but of a similar emotional state, I'm reading the comic to Keenan, and it's Justice League number 11, which is the villain's journey, and, and Graves is torturing them and everything. Okay. And um, there's the scene where Wonder Woman is talking about the need to help Steve Trevor, I can't find the actual panel we were on, the actual dialogue. But there was some serious emotional angst going on about how she has, you know, really not been there for Steve Trevor, really let him down. And I was reading this as mom was as, as his mom was walking into the room. So it was just it was just kind of here it is. It was one of them. It was Steve Trevor's sister. So this is the dialogue that I'm reading as my seven-year-old's mother walks in. You already broke his heart. You crushed his self-worth, but he still dedicated his life to you. He could already be dead because of you. My brother could be dead. Why couldn't you have staved away from Steve? Which is, you know, kind of high angst and, you know, death, life-death drama. And, you know, I don't mind reading it to my kid, but I'm just, you know, this is the sort of thing that I wouldn't be surprised if Bess had said, what are y'all reading? Wait a minute, what are you reading to our child? Exactly. But anyways, Hulk smash. Yes. You killed Hulk's friend. Yes, enough of John's need for supervision. Right. (laughs) Yes, so obviously this does anger Banner a bit. He changes into the Hulk. And I don't know, I mean, it's hard to see from last time. I'm trying to remember, but I guess maybe the Man Beast doesn't know much about the Hulk, because you would think trying to get Bruce Banner anxious or angry would not be the thing you want to do. Right. Yes. You want him subdued and calm or dead. Dead would make more sense. Right. And it's just, you got to be careful around Hulks. Yes. Because Hulks is tricky things. So Hulk does his old rampage thing. And obviously they can't stop him. Although it is funny at the last, on that last panel it says, this, by the way, is the Hulk. And he can't be stopped. And the first word balloon is, stop that rampaging man brute. <laughs> no, literally, they just said he can't be stopped. Literally. You know, I forgot my one note from the previous page. Oh, what? You mind if we go back to the dildo for just one second? <laughs> no, not a problem. Because I must point out grammar problems Uh-oh. whenever I see them. Top of the page, second yellow box. It started with the familiar speech. My hands are clean. It is your decision that he dies. That should be it is your decision that he die. Because... You want him to die 
we're not saying he dies. So it's called the subjunctive uh, mood, and it should be die, not dies. But that's okay. We can keep on going. I just It was my one note on page one, and my next note's on page three, so I had to say something. <laughs> that's okay. Although I do give more leeway for things like this for um, dialogue, which that was supposed to be. Uh, yeah, but like okay, but, but still, but still, you know, you know. But no, I mean, I understand what you're saying, that's, and that make that's fine. But I always give more leeway for that for it, since that was supposed to be dialogue, because that was his, the, that was his speech. You know, that's what he because said. you're weak, Sedano. You're yes. weak and you're a disappointment. Sorry, that sounded a lot meaner than I meant it to. Did we date? <laughs> or are you just you know? Do you know all my exes? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> all my exes live in Texas, except for the one who moved to Indiana. I don't know where all mine live. Well, I'm from Texas, so I'm, I, I have one up on you. Well, that's true. I don't think I have any in Texas. So page three, they're anyway, fighting, and yeah. these guys come Reality. out. <laughs> I am just amused that these three guys are randomly still around. I don't think we saw them at all last issue. We saw them a little bit two issues ago. But here they are, the three random guys who can turn into... Cobra um, and Weasel. Yeah, and, and Snake are. Um, Were they in the last one? Let me look. I think they might have been in the last one. I think they're introduced in 176, and they might be background in 177. I don't remember them actually doing well, it. We don't see them. Well, let's see. I'm going backwards through it now. We don't see them at the at the death yet. So they're just showing up here to help out. Well, I guess they were there. They just kind of, we didn't see them. I have to assume. But let's see. Uh, oh, wait, you might be right. Hold on. Yeah, I'm thinking you're up. Yeah, they're they're like basically on the first page of last issue. Okay. They take out the Hulk and they bring him into the Man Beast and then that's it. So, yeah. So now they show up again. Yeah, they're here. They're here to help. And they Quote, unquote, help. Yeah, but the Hulk, of course, just knocks them down. Although I am very amused by the, I mean, it's a small panel, but the one of them in the suits, but in their animal form. Yes. <laughs> they're all animal, new men, but they're still wearing their suits. Their suits and ties. I like that better than just the always wearing the new men out, official outfits. Right. The new men fetish outfits. The uh, the uniforms. Yes. Colt, you will. <laughs> the thing goes, man beast, you got a little sickness going on. <laughs> He's like, nope, nope, more shoulders. I want more bare arms. It was the 70s. Yes. I mean, look at Cosmic Boy. Yeah. Well, it's hard not to. He was wearing nothing. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, the Hulk, of course, busts out of there, because really none of them is going to stop him at all. Honestly, if Hulk didn't care about, wasn't upset about Warlock, he probably could have taken care of the whole problem in about five minutes. If he wasn't thinking about Warlock, he was just pissed. They he didn't is. have anything ready. They had nothing to do. I mean, the Mambies maybe had a shot at taking him down, but the Hulk was pissed enough at that moment that he could have probably just taken everything down in one, one, like five pages. Right. Knocked all the Mambies, take care of the army. Mambies done. He's like, Hulk's like, I'm done. But he bounds off with the, um, the size changing warlock cocoon. Yes. And Rex Carpenter is all excited. The uh, warlock is dead. He announces it, uh, to whoever's nearby. And. He today I conquer Counter Earth, and tomorrow the first Earth as well. Yeah, and like I said, perhaps Sunday we can may gain revenge on the High Revolutionary himself. Perhaps. <laughs> it's like the Man Beast really doesn't think very big, does he? 
I mean, he thinks big, but he like he's like, look, this is where I'm going. We're gonna take care of the Earth, this planet, and the original Earth. Maybe. Maybe he realizes that, meh, that's a lot of work. Because the High Evolutionary had snagged him down in the past. And the reason he escaped from the High Evolutionary and came down here was to get revenge on the High Evolutionary. Possibly he realizes that he can't actually win that fight, but he's going to do everything he can to make the High Evolutionary regret it. Which kind of kind of fits in with the metaphor, you know, the whole Lucifer rose up against heaven thing and was sent, you know, crashed down to Earth. And so you have battles between Lucifer and Michael, you have battles between Lucifer and Christ, but you don't ever have a return to him fighting against God Almighty. True, so that fits with that. I was also just wondering, I was actually thinking about it, like, he's been president for a little while now. Mm -hmm. I wonder if after being president, he's just like, this is work. (laughs) My hair is turning gray. Do you guys want to take over the world? Do you realize what that means when you take over the world? Nobody likes me. They want to see my birth certificate. They keep asking me for decisions on every stupid little thing. I need a nap. That's why I think he's like, yeah, maybe we'll take over the original Earth. Beyond that, we'll see. Because honestly, I'm tired. I'm tired. My my dogs are barking. My dogs are barking. (laughs) Thanos wants to rule the universe. What? What the? Nut job. He's going to tire himself out. Crazy kid. It just, I just like that, though. Usually the, the villains are so much, like, ambitious, and they're going to keep going bigger and more and more. And he's like, mm, might have a limit. Maybe not today. Yeah. But anyway, so. It's, it's kind of like a parent to a child. When the child wants to do something, the parent really doesn't want to do. And so that's, yeah, that's it. May- that's, how, that's how it reads. Maybe later. Yeah. Now, the Hulk has Warlock's cocoon, and he's like really sad about it. He wants Warlock to wake up and this feels really tragic. There's like a whole page of him trying to like come to terms with this. Yeah. Trying like, to come to terms with death. It it loses a little bit of his punch because you know where the story is going. But you know what this reminded me of? What? The New Mutants Warlock after Doug died. Yeah, I was thinking about that. When he's trying to convince him it's okay, wake up. You Maybe if I am... Maybe I'll let you go see all your friends. You'll, you'll come out of your death state. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he makes Doug... Yeah, he, like, drags him around the mansion. Right. Takes him to see his parents. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. And yet tragically sad at the same time. Oh, yeah. This one is a little less creepy because there's no playing with the body. It's just tragically sad. Plus, if you think about what they say here, I mean, you have this page. And then says throughout the night, he sits there. So the Hulk basically is up all night with his, like, one of his few dead friends. Right. For, like, six hours. Confused, motionless, and overcome with a sorrow few men would think him capable of. I mean, that makes it even a little more tragic. I mean, like, he didn't go to sleep. He would just stay there all night trying to figure this out. Well, really, I mean, I don't know how much really hard loss you've had. That's a pretty common reaction is to not be able to sleep. Yeah. But to be... The whole, I mean, in this instance, so it's not just that he's not with family or somewhere familiar. Even mm-hmm. he's out in the wilderness, in the woods, no one to turn to, and it's dark, so he's alone and no one there. At least until Porcunus shows up. Yeah, 
Which, by the way, the more I see him, the more I want to go, he's not from a porcupine. He's made from a tree, right? Isn't he, though? He looks like Tree Man. He should look more like Sonic the Hedgehog if he were a porcupine man. Yes. All those brambles of his hair should be brushed backward. They should kind of look like pointy dreads or something. Yeah. Or look like Porcupine Pete from the Legion of Substitute Heroes. I'll take that, too. Yeah, but he looks like, that looks like branches, short branches of his hair. But from what he says, Adam once told me I was a timber on which he would build a house of goodwill. I will not fail him. A, makes him sound more like a tree again. And B, that's basically quoting Peter. Peter, yeah. And I had not pegged this guy as Peter until just now, until he said so. I don't remember anything he did earlier that made him say, oh, I'm Peter. Well, that's because they apparently don't want to use the uh, actual apostles that were used in the Warlock book. Well, yeah, but he could have done other things that Peter did. I know, but it's just funny because he doesn't even meet Adam until, like, as far as we know, until, like, two issues ago. So it's like reading, like, since this is the allegory for that, it's like reading the Bible and the whole thing up until, like, the crucifixion, or just about it, it's the those oh, 12 yeah, it we was know. Last, yeah, it was last issue because yeah. they rescue him at the end of 176, and Hulk comes to visit in 177 where Warlock has found these dudes... You know, they've had some undetermined amount of time to build a friendship or whatever. Okay, so yeah. But yeah, like going with the allegory, it's like you have the 11, you know, the 12, 13 apostles. That's I, Yeah, I know what I mean there. In like the old, in the New Testament up until like the crucifixion. And then the crucifixion happens and all of a sudden it's like, and George is the one that's going to set everything up. It's like, who's George? <laughs> Where'd George come from? What happened to Peter and Paul? At least and we Simon? get like... I mean, we don't happen to Judas, but what about the other ones? What happened to the rest of them? Where'd they go? Oh, they're in the background somewhere. They're hanging out. Don't worry. At least we get, like, nominal reference to Jason and Ellie and Dave on the next page. Yes, they I are there. I got to that page. I was like, hey, look, humans. They are there, although they don't look like them. Um, well, I mean, Jason is hard to tell because he's so much. No, sorry. David. Yeah, he's such a sketched drawing in the background there. Yeah. And Ellie looks and dresses like. Early issues, Betty Ross or something. Yeah, she could be Karen Page or Betty Ross or Betty Brandt, any of those people. Well, she's yeah. blonde, but a blonde Betty Brandt. And he looks more like, uh, oh god, what's his name? Uh, Wilson, not Rick Wilson. Jim Wilson. Jim Wilson. That's it. Yeah, actually, yes, he really does. Dave looks like looks like um, Alan Davis's Kane Marco. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, the way he's back there, he has he has a kind of swoopy. I mean, it's it's a very low res sketched drawing, obviously, but he has that swoopy hair. It's the same shade. I just read that issue, so um, yeah, he, that could be. <laughs> it's Alan almost Davis it's almost like Roy Thomas went up to him and said, uh, "Dude, I, I created best friends for him. Could you at least put him in one panel?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back on the previous page where we have Porcupinus, Porcupinus. Well, we know where John's head is today. <laughs> Actually, I was just trying to be linguistic about how it was said, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, well, we're not going to say it that way. <laughs> um, okay, the last panel, uh, let's see. Hulk doesn't know why Warlock had to die. His time among us had drawn to an end, Hulk, but we still and always have the memory of him. 
and the new men are carrying the 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 uh, cocoon and strange that the green-skinned monster should mourn warlock's passing so greatly and the really smart guy in the back is like yes. warlock has his friend and while I'm sorry warlock was his friend and while you and I have many friends the hulk can count his on one of those massive green hands and I was reminded of a story I heard in chemistry class about electrons and how, like, if you don't have very many electrons in an atom, they spin really close to the nucleus. But the more electrons you have, the less tight those orbits become. So it's like, you know, the more friends, if you have few friends, you're going to hang on to them tightly. Yes. The more friends you have, the less tightly you may hang on to. It's kind of like children, too, actually. Yeah, you cared more when you had one, but as soon as you got another one, you're like, eh, you can go out. Yeah, and by the time you're seven kids, they, no, none of them matter anymore. <laughs> you have seven kids. If you have seven kids, that's just because you're trying to make a team, right? <laughs> I, I want to play baseball. Dang it! <laughs> I want the Jacksonville Wilsons out there. I need nine. My, my me, my wife, your mom, and 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 seven kids. We're gonna make a baseball team. Yeah, come on. So, so actually, you do care when you have seven because you need them. Because what if you lose one? You're like, damn it, Jimmy, that was our shortstop. <laughs> we put the toddler in the shortstop position because we like to be literalists. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's short. And, and the one in babies is in the dugout because we like to be metaphorical as well. <laughs> okay. Um, I Somewhere really... your daughter is rolling her eyes. She is. She is all kinds of rolling her eyes. Well, she's over at Girl Scout camp this week, so she can't hear me. But if she were here. Oh, either um, way, she'd be rolling. I think she just knows. She's rolling her eyes. She's rolling her eyes somewhere. Dad, what are you even doing? <sighs> oh, just real quick. I was very amused the other day. I saw my wife. We were talking about kids and stuff. I said, the I said, I think the reason you have a teenage daughter is just to torture them. And I mentioned what you said about, you put up there, your daughter said you're not allowed to use slang. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she said, pretty much, yeah, that's why you have them, to torture them. It is fun. It is fun to torture teenagers. Especially a teenage girl. I think it's going to be easier to torture. Anyway. so Bottom of page 11, it says, words are unimportant right now. Let us each examine our own innermost thoughts and pray we are strong enough. And I'm like, whom are you going to pray to? Jesus died. Yeah. The evolutionary. Mm -hmm. God is dead. So, well, I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they put Warlock. We get a nice full page splash as they put Warlock down in this hidden cave that they found. It's a beautiful page. Yeah. And we get the Hulk kneeling in front of it, like, or probably cr more like crying. Right. Everyone's standing there watching, and you have a single shaft of light blasting down on it. Like, just illuminating, just a cocoon. Right. And I like this. They want no heavenly, heavenly sign, nor miracles, nor subtle symbolism. <laughs> but we're gonna throw it at you, the reader. <laughs> Wait, did you say subtle symbolism? We're all out. Just bring out the regular kind. <laughs> Roy Thomas comes out of his office. Uh, Tony, Jerry, yeah, subtle, yeah. Define it. What? Define it. I just want to make sure. Make sure we understand what this means. I want to know if this is supposed to be ironic, or if i got to smack you guys a few times. We get a straddle on the next page. 
Yes. And at least her minor interaction in this issue makes sense because she's captured. Yeah, I I feel like I finally understand Estrella. I like her characterization here, but we may have talked about this last issue. I don't know if she appeared last issue or not. I think in one of the two issues they appeared. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. Life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man. Is she working for her brother and doing things for her brother, not realizing that he was possessed by a demon? Yeah, she basically thought it was her brother. Right. That's why she was always so conflicted on it. Like, she wanted to do what he said, but she didn't want to do what he said. But she's like, but my brother wants me to do these bad things, but my I know my brother. He's not a bad person, so he really wouldn't want me to do bad things, but he's doing these bad things. Right, but they don't go that specific with it. Like, you have to read into a lot of that. And yeah. and it makes whenever... more sense now when you go, oh, once you find out it was the man beast inside him, you're like, oh. Right, and when she first appeared way back in the day... I was reading all of her activities as sister to the man beast. And that's just not what was going on. And exactly. I didn't realize that until right towards the end of the story here. So I love her characterization here and her reactions to her brother. Yeah. And whether this all was planned or just happy circumstance with that stuff, I, I think that was pretty well done. That was like, that's pretty cool. Modern thing way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Except now, you know, nowadays, of course, it usually would have been planned out from the beginning. hundred percent. Either way, it worked out well for that, I think. And on the one, two, three, four, five, sixth panel of that page, um, whenever the man beast walks into, I don't know what that is, the Capitol maybe? He's or the in the Pentagon? war room. Yeah. And yeah. He's, yeah, he's the president after all. I'm like, what? No, he's not. The grumbling abruptly ceases when they learn their commander is not human and that they must helplessly obey his orders. After all, he is the president. Make no mistake about that. I really want to know how that conversation went. Especially since he's not – he left Rex Carpenter's body. Right. So it's not like he's in Rex's body. So how does he convince them that he's the president? How does he even make it into that room? I mean, he's got his new men there with him, and I imagine they're a little bit scary, probably a whole heck of a lot scary. Maybe they killed a few people along the way. I don't know. But Well, based on how this goes, I would almost go with they're just like, okay. Um, like they said, they kind of – I mean, because basically the way this goes is they humor him right. and get in touch with the army, that warlock army, and basically they betray him. Yeah, and I'm I thinking mean, that's kind of what they're doing now. They're like, 
Okay, um, yeah, sure, you're the president. Yeah, 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 you're the president. No, he's not, he's a shut up, do you see what he did to Jim? Shut up, just listen for now, go along, play along. <laughs> you see Jim? And you see Jim's head? You notice how Jim's body and Jim's head are nowhere near together. Right. Different sides of the room. Jim is here, and Jim is there, he is by my toe, and he's on the patio. <laughs> yeah, there there are at least two different conversations going on here between the one between each other and the one between them and the man beast because yeah, we're going to we're going to see that and I'm glad it plays out that way cuz it gives some intelligence to the military leaders which is often not done in fiction especially comic book fiction especially usually book. and especially in a Hulk book where the military is often played for laughs yeah. or at least for easily defeated you know, thugs. Well, considering the fact that basically the premise always seems to be, let's go stop the Hulk. Oh, what do you know? We couldn't stop the Hulk. Who knew? No, we had nothing before to tell us that all our traditional weaponry that we've used every single time before that it's failed would fail again. So, yeah, they, they, these guys are actually smart. <laughs> the counter-Earth military has intelligence. Which is good. Yes. I want to read the next page. Okay. The, the splash one? Yeah. It's a, it's a really great splash. You have the man beast's face. And he looks great on this face. That face looks good here. Yeah, I it looks like. amazing. And it's surrounded by these sort of, you know, montage of military preparation, which, given the, you know, what we said about the previous conversation, I'm surprised they went this far to humor him. But still, defense spending, they call it, costing billions upon unguessable billions each year. Yet much of this taxpayer's burden goes toward offensive weapons, such as these. The guardians of democracy take to the sky, ready to defend their country. Their courage is undeniable. Their skill, awesome. Their sincerity, unquestioned. Yet this courage and skill and sincerity do not alter the fact that they are nuclear pawns in the man-beast's private conquest game. And just one man's opinion, I'm not crying for any listener to agree with me, but this basically sums up my feelings about the military. You have awesome people with awesome character traits working for an engine that is driving something that I am fundamentally opposed to. That's just my own personal belief on things. It was it was interesting to see it mirrored here. Okay. Nope. That you perfectly allowed to have your have your feeling on that, and it's not like it's a hard. You're not like you're wishing everyone dead or anything <laughs> horrible. So. Not that I'm saying that the commander-in-chief of the military is the man-beast at all, but just, you know, generally. But you haven't seen his certificate to see, figure out which Earth he was from, have you? I don't know which Earth Barack Obama was from, and I don't. Yeah. Or whenever this goes up, we might have a new president elected, I don't know. But, yeah, but going with what you're saying, about that's a lot to uh, appease him. But it depends. I mean, if it's not just him, but remember, he has his own army, too. So it's not just him, like, intimidating a few generals and just, let's say... Them going, okay, let's uh, let's appease him for a few minutes, and then we'll take him out. I mean, he has a whole army there. Right. And I That's think true. He does have his new men. And like every image that shows him, it shows the new men with the generals. So there might be some intimidation and some force tactics being used. Yeah, and maybe it's also the fact that, like, okay, if we don't – we can take the time to prepare. Because, I mean, he's telling them prepare for war, and he knows they need to prepare, but he doesn't know all the steps. So they might have been – they might have stretched it out a little bit based on what we see happening next. Yeah, because it's real on the very next page where he pushes a button to launch the nukes. And they're like, yeah, no, sorry. And I have Wrong feeling, again, Mr. President. Yeah, and I have a feeling maybe they were like, they might have been worried, like, look, if we just fight this guy right now, he might just start pressing buttons. Mm -hmm. And right now, they, these buttons work. 
we need time to get this stuff switched off and taken care of. So that's the thing that makes the most sense to me based on, like I said, just not just based on everything, you know, the, what happens in the rest of the book. Because like you said, he goes to press the button to nuke and he's like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> and they set up this little joke in that first panel when he, when he says to them, my special thanks to the chiefs of staff. We're realists, Mr. President, if nothing more. And then the third panel, when he finds out it doesn't work, he said, you better believe it, mister. I said we were realists, not fools. Right. And then that's when the Hulk and the army attack. Or the rebel army. And so there's that, and the man-beast and the Hulk takes on the Hulk. So lots of fighting. Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of thoughts on the fighting. I mean, he puts a, a hate whammy. I, I, was re- I was reminded of the hate monger in this scene. I feel like there's a story in Marvel Team-Up where they go back and f- have to deal with late 17th century witchcraft trials with the Scarlet Witch and Vision, and there's a there's an evil person back then who also does like mental whammies like this. Hmm, but, I don't remember. Although the one thing I was thinking about this is when the Mambi says, it's not possible, no human can withstand the power of my hate. And I was thinking, actually, the Hulk probably could. Because, I mean, the Hulk, especially in this time period, is very much the child. You know, and he's very much like a child. You know, he is... Those emotions are very strong with him. You know, when he's happy, he's very happy. And it's like they show in these books, you know, when he's very sad. He's sad, he's very sad. And when he's angry, he really is angry. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, the Hulk could probably match his hate. And that's probably why it's not affecting him, because the Hulk is probably... I mean, this has been several days, so they've kept the Hulk from attacking for days. Think about how pissed off he must be by now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because once the Hulk stopped being sad initially about Adam Warlock's death, he's then going to want to go back and smash. He doesn't like sitting around doing nothing. And so the fact that he's stuck sitting around doing nothing and he keeps being sad because they probably keeps, you know, going to see Warlock's body and keeps being angry and hating the man. Yeah, this is (laughs) it's like, yeah, no wonder. Yeah, I can see your blast doing nothing. And then we get my least favorite characters. Uh, as they're standing outside the White House, June um, and what, whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, hey, look, these guys. I remembered them doing more. They're useless in this story. Well, I mean, they do free Rex Carpenter. Okay. Yeah. And Estrella. Because they follow the new man who's going to go down there to kill Rex Carpenter, and they knock him out. But couldn't that be done by a porky penis? Or, like I said last, episode, last issue, uh, da- uh, Jason and Ellie? Any of those people could have served this purpose. These people don't. I mean, they don't intersect with Warlock. Mm-hmm. The, the, they, they're trying to figure out what's going on in the White House, which, okay, it is cool that people in the White House have twigged the idea that something's not right. That we're seeing that there is at least some small notice that, you know, things are kind of strange in, in, in Denmark these days. So that's neat. It's just they're used so sparsely that they feel, I don't know, useless. Also, on the bottom of that page, the the last panel, why is he talking like the green guy? The situation is critical. I must initiate the man-beast contingency plan and kill Rex Carpenter. He's like narrating as they, he goes along, and that's how the other people find out what's going on. Man, yeah. we can't let him kill the president, no matter what Carpenter's done. Even if the battle above goes badly, we can always strike again, but only if Carpenter is silenced. 
he and his sister know. Who are you talking to? Are, are you, do you have your girlfriend on your Bluetooth or something? I don't understand why he's talking. No, he's only talking. Basically, he's talking for plot reasons. And normally that kind of exposition is done through thought balloons. But it's dialogue, and so other characters can hear, but it makes you wonder why. Maybe he's the guard because he's kind of useless, and he just lives in his own little fantasy world, and he's like, he's narrating his life. (laughs) Maybe this is his new man power. He walks around narrating his life. He's like Destiny from the Endless, but it's just his life, and it's not with a book, it's with his words. Yeah, or the writer from Suicide Squad. I don't know the writer. I think he was called the writer. Basically, it was Grant Morrison as a Suicide Squad character. He writes stuff that happens and make it happen. Oh. When in Suicide Squad was that? The only one I remember him being in, and he kind of uh, didn't get out of there. He he lived up to the name of the book. Uh-huh. Was, the, I think it's 66. It's the uh, War of the Gods issue. Okay. Okay. Because Suicide Squad and the whole, like, Ostrander verse in eight, late 80s, early 90s DC is something I plan to read um, as the – I'm going to read those books in line with the JLI Bwahaha podcast. Yeah, I've never read those beyond, like – I read issue 13 because it crosses over JLI, and mm-hmm. there was a few issues towards the end with, like, the Atom. It'll just be neat to, to get do some – DC reading from that era that I've been meaning to do, so I'll just do it synced up with that show. Yeah, I'm thinking about that, because I do like, I mean, I read the Justice League stuff from that time period, but not really a lot of other stuff from that time period. I don't have another note until after the ads. But yeah, beyond the fact that this guy, like I said, I'm just wondering, I'm frustrated, I know, but it's almost like reading these books, it's almost like they didn't realize until Roy Thomas looked at it afterwards, he's like, what happened to the characters I created? You know, they're like, they created these human characters that have them do these things. Like, well, we need something to, someone to do this. It's like, well, we can't have the new men or Hulk do it. Well, I guess we got to create some humans. And then, like, afterwards, like, the issues were done, and Roy Thomas went back and was like, you know, I created human characters. Yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah. Rex Carpenter and the, the sister. We put the sister in there. No, 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 no. Others. Really? I thought you killed them. No, just the one. Well, it, it goes it goes back uh, to the things I was saying last episode, the fact that Jerry Conway is writing this conclusion instead of Roy Thomas. Yeah. Like, Roy Thomas started this baby in motion, and, and then Roy- Mike Friedrich took over for a while. But this is, when Roy Thomas started his story, we knew it was going to get here. So why isn't Roy Thomas right? It's not like Jerry Conway had a long tenure on the Hulk before this. He's the Hulk was bouncing from writer to writer. He's uh, only plotting this issue. Conway's only plotting this issue? It's, uh... uh I'm going to double-check oh, to make sure I'm going to... Isabella's the scripter. Isabella, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what, I thought, that's what I thought I saw before. Yeah, Tony and Isabella. Story conceived and edited by Roy Thomas. So, I guess as editor, he just doesn't have time to write it, maybe. But it's like... I I feel a little bit bad that he did not get to do his ending to his story. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could think of is maybe he's... When was Roy Thomas editor-in-chief of Marvel? I don't know. That is a question. I, I, I don't know the editor timelines. Like, even a little bit. <laughs> I know there were lots of them in the mid to late 70s because... Yeah, and I know it was before... Of the drugs. X- Giant Size X-Men, which was 75, 1975. So I'm wondering if this is when he was. He might be, but... Because if he was, then that would explain why he didn't want to take, get involved. He didn't, he didn't even have time. Because he's like, look, I'm, I'm the editor-in-chief. I can deal with everything. I don't have time anymore. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's what the way this reads. It's basically it's like Roy looked at it afterwards and went, you know, I created characters. And because it seems like they kind of just shoehorn in the actual characters from Warlock. Because these two people get way more panels and way more use than the actual characters. And it's like, they do. why not? Why could you just use the ones that exist? Like, why could David, you know, not be the one that was like, help, you know, he's Warlock's friend who's with Porcunus' army. He hooked up with them while Ellie and David are like undercover. But it's it's just weird. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah. I just, I don't get it. It's just a bit of a, I mean, obviously it's too late now, but it's just a bit of a uh, frustration with the story, how it ended. But, oh, back, oh, look, something's happening at the cocoon. Uh-oh. What could it be? Right here at the end of the story, because we're on page 26 and they're only 30. I, I don't know what could be happening. A blue glow. Ooh. Yeah, I'm trying to why, why blue. Because that's the Jedi color and red would be a Sith color. Okay, I, by the way, we get a confront, confirmation of how long it's been. It's, Warlock's been dead for two days. So I guess it has, I thought it would be longer, but I guess it's only been two days. But that kind of fits. Yeah, not three. Well, it said he was killed <laughs> two days ago. So this would be day three, I guess. I guess. Well, if you include the day you get killed, that's day one. Okay. The next day yeah. is day two, and then now they're on day three. Right. Which is which is fine. That's a perfectly acceptable logic. And I, I, I kind of gripped about this last episode, that traditionally speaking, Jesus was killed on a Friday. That's why we have Good Friday. And then came back on a Sunday. Came back on a Sunday, which is why we have Easter Sunday. Um, you, you know, he died on Friday, that's day one, dead on Saturday, that's day two, dead for part of Sunday, that's day three. However... It's not really, because, I mean, he died, like, in the evening on Friday, and he's back Sunday morning, so he's really only dead for, like, a day and a half. Yeah. He he, he died shortly before sundown, because they had to get him down before the Sabbath. Um, off the cross, you know, and, and process before the Sabbath. But But Jesus made the point before he died, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a well, so shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the belly of the earth. Three days and three nights is 72 hours, and that's not math. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't add up. But it's okay. It's okay. I mean, from my perspective, it's just a story. It doesn't matter. But here, yeah. it's... And Jesus might be like, look, dude, do you know what year that was? That's like year, what, 30? 31? Okay, we're lucky we kind of pass our fingers and toes. They couldn't math back then. And it's like, and I'm coming back from the dead, okay? You're going to bitch about the fact that my time schedule might be off by a few hours? <laughs> Tell you what, John, zap, you come back from the dead. Let's see how long it takes you. I just have this family guy image in my head of Jesus kind of like kicking your lifeless body. Just a little bit going, come on, John. John, come on, get up. <laughs> Okay, um, I have written down for panel four, let's see, recorder says, observation, the intensity of the glow is increasing, the surface of the cocoon shows sign of unknown stress within, conclusion, we are witnessing and hitherto unrecorded phenomenon. Yeah, he says we are witnessing and hitherto unrecorded phenomenon. I think they meant an Anne hitherto, because Anne is sometimes put before H words, but I, I actually don't even know why we do that. Um, but he put and. 
I don't understand why people spell Anne with a D. Because you don't say it with a D. You say Anne. Anyways. And that was John's grammar moment. Well, it's just this weird, okay, <laughs> language changes, right? Language changes, and it goes against my need for systems to allow for the fact that language changes. But usually written language changes to reflect speech patterns. You know, people dropping the R in your and saying you this. And so then they start writing you this. Like, um, instead of saying you are smart, you smart. Yeah. You know, and we say people say that, so they start writing it. Those kinds of things are common. I guess this is kind of like that because oh, we don't usually say and whenever we're speaking, the line, the witch, and the wardrobe. And we say the line, the witch, and the wardrobe. So using the word and when you should be using and just rubs me the wrong way. But it's okay. I'll get over it. Because the Hulk is punching the man beast in the face with a shrimp. Will you get over it? Because I'm not really sure. um and yeah i love the hulk man beast fight because like first he throws metal at him and then he knocks him down by kachuming the ground with his two fists then he picks up the man beast and announces his intention to kill the man beast oh yeah he's basically that's Man Beast looks like Bane right there. I mean, he, the Hulk looks like Bane right there. I am not a quote-unquote Hulk fan. By that I mean I like the Hulk. I've read some Hulk. I have never followed the Hulk. I don't really know a whole lot about all the intricacies that his character development has gone through over the years. To some people, it is like a religious tenet that the Hulk has never killed and never will. Like, it's really, really important to them. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I I'm don't, sure people have died, even by accident. Yeah, I don't get it, and I don't see it, because the Hulk has tried to kill a whole lot of people on the page. And I'm pretty sure that in his smashes and rampages, he has killed people in the past. Maybe somebody out there can explain to me why it's important that the Hulk never kill. Um, but it seems to me that he does. Warlock comes in with his very, very small friends. Yes, they're very tiny. I mean, Warlock has grown, apparently, after this cocoon thing. Because well, he was normal height, and now everybody's, like, waist-high to him. <laughs> I don't know if it's, like, a, a foreground thing or what, but, yeah. He is super big, and everyone else... He reminds me of Cable with the whole shoulder pads thing going on, because his shoulders are really broader than they should be. By the way, I was spending a few minutes... I was trying to look up easily enough, but I couldn't find anything that would just say, Editor-in-Chief of Marvel, you know? This time, this time. But it looks like Roy Thomas was editor, either was just becoming editor-in-chief, or was editor-in-chief in, like, a month or so. Cause I'm showing someone said he was editor-in-chief for, like, issue 180. Okay. So, if that's the case, maybe he was just starting to basically get busy with it. So, I don't know. But I'm guessing he might have been not had enough time to deal with doing the scripting. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Either that, or he was just, he was, maybe he was bored with the idea by then. <laughs> I mean, he's like, yes, it was my. Maybe they're like they were trying to get him to do it. And he's like, yeah, it was my idea. Not all my ideas are good. No, I didn't like this one. They're not all good. I wasn't a fan. You can finish it. It's okay. But anyway, that was just bugging me. I just had to try and figure that out. But it's about this time. So page thirty, the giant warlock makes a very Jesus statement. He says, "For my friendship and help, 
both freely given must be freely accepted. That's the whole, you know, God loves you, you must accept his love. Yeah, and basically he takes care of the battle one panel. He just basically turns all the new men, well, the evil ones, into their original forms. Right, he devolves the man-beast. And because I was not what I am now, before I was a man, now I am far more than a man. Which is, again, the whole Jesus thing. Yes. I mean, theologically, Christologically speaking, Jesus always had the power of God within him. But That's how he got everyone drunk at that one party. Yeah. But after he was resurrected, he was something new and something else and something yes. other. Adam Warlock is now more than what he was. He wipes out all of the demons. I mean, new men. Yes. And, one. and he takes out Satan, man-beast. Right. Now, okay, last panel of page 30 there, Ellie says, Adam, you've won. Mankind is one. She's the only one of his original friends that gets a line in this book. Yeah. And he says, no, Ellie, he will remain thus only as long as man recognizes the beast within himself. Should man forget, should man fail to recognize and combat the evil within himself with the intellect he has been given, the man beast shall live again. Okay, this makes all the sense from a metaphor point of view, like the idea that the evil of Satan must always be warred against, you know, and we have to be constantly yeah. on our guard. And yeah, even if you beat him, he's still, he's the con supposed to be the concept of evil, so if you start doing evil things again, that you're bringing him back. But it doesn't make any sense in the story. No, because he's not a metaphor, he's a scientific creation. Right, he's, he's, he's the creation of the evolutionary who was evolved from a wolf and now has been devolved back to a wolf. And he's going off and he's going to live his wolfy life. Maybe he'll run into counter-Earth Rain Sinclair. I don't know, but it, he's 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 not going to come back. Does he come back? Does a man beast ever come back? You want to know? Yes. Yes. For Warlock or for other people? I think both. Okay. Is it during the Infinity Watch era or later? Infinity Watch for Warlock, but I think he comes back earlier for others. Okay. Well, but, you know. Although, the funny thing is here, I mean, going by what's actually happening, they're in, like, underneath the Pentagon or something, or the Capitol building, mm -hmm. and this wolf is just running through the hallways right now. <laughs> <laughs> All these animals are just randomly running through the Pentagon. I mean, honestly, it's a miracle that Man Beast is still alive later on to come back, because you're surprised there's those soldiers going, dude, was that a wolf that just ran by? Get the guns. Dude, Jimmy, there's a wolf in front of attack. Shoot it, shoot it! <laughs> Um, oh, crap, I can't. Jimmy got killed by that wolf guy a few days ago. Oh, man. That's right, I forgot. His head was over there. But, yeah, that doesn't make sense on that one. Oh. Apparently, you liked it a lot, though. I, I, I didn't know this would do that. I was playing with a rubber ball, and it turns out the rubber ball has music inside, or at least sound effects. I didn't know that even existed. Wow. Okay, I'm putting that like down now. That sounds like you enjoyed that picture of Ellie way more than you should. <laughs> Shut up. She's just a drawing. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> this whole idea of Warlock going off to save other worlds, to beat other man-beasts, yes. or the man-beasts on other worlds, this is an actual perspective. This is a legit perspective in some branches of Christian thought, particularly back in the 70s, whenever going to space was actually a part of the human experience and something that we thought we might actually do. The idea that Jesus, after he left here, 
he went off to go save other worlds. Oh, yeah. And he has a costume change, too, by the way. Has he changed his costume? Yeah, look at that arrow. I mean, look at his lightning bolt. Oh, it's, it's no like, longer centered. Yeah, it's uh, like definitely on the side. Huh. I don't remember that continuing on into the next issue. No, I know. I don't think Starlin cared about that. <laughs> Starlin's like, I'm going back to the original one, which I'm going to get rid of soon anyway. Right. Yeah, he didn't keep that that costume for very long. So, yeah, he goes off to be Space Jesus in other planets, and Hulk looks pensive and thoughtful at the end. We don't even get his trip back to Earth in this issue. I'm assuming we get it in 179. We have to. Right. He has to be in Canada in time for 180, right? Yeah, and 181 especially. Right. So... Yeah, and I read 181 not too long ago because I covered that issue with... uh, Blaine for yeah. 75 Greatest Marvels. Yes. And yeah, he's, well, there was no mention of space whatsoever. No, in 181, there wouldn't be. I, I, I get, there's got to be some sort of connective tissue at the beginning of 179. But yeah, that's okay. So Warlock has left kind of Earth. Although I'm trying to figure out now, is this him talking to them right there? I guess he just kind of shows up and leaves, right? He doesn't like, he's not speaking to the nation. No, he does apparently just talk there. Rex Carpenter is going to continue being president, even though he wasn't actually elected. Um, and they want Adam to stay and help. And he's like, no, I'm going to go. And it's weird because after taking three issues to get to this point, it still ends up feeling kind of rushed here at the ending. Oh, yeah. Going by the original story that they're they're doing a version of, basically, it's kind of like he got back. You know, he came back. They're like, who moved the stone? And he's like, I'm back. Deuces, I'm out. <laughs> you know, and like doesn't even show up to like he like maybe he shows up for like the whole thing with the apostles where like they have the dining Thomas, you know, sticking his finger inside of him. Mm-hmm. But that's it. He's like, done. Yeah, we had the glowing cocoon for panel on twenty six. Twenty eight to nine were ads. Uh he shows up on thirty and is flying off on thirty two. Yeah. So but then you know, the resurrection part of the gospel story doesn't exactly fill up a lot of pages either. No. So I guess, you know, and they're not doing that many pages, so I guess they're not doing equivalent. So percentage-wise, it's like, yeah, we give them three pages. That's a lot. I like the literary reference at the end. A question once asked by Ray Bradbury in a poem too few people know, are there mangers on far worlds? It's just interesting. Um, yes. And Warlock leaves Counter-Earth finally. He does. Leaves Counter-Earth for basically ever? Pretty much. They, you, you've talked about how there are other renditions of Counter-Earth done later. I just don't know how much they involve Warlock. Not really. Not really. Okay. There is a, Well, there is a story in Marvel 2 and 1, which we'll get to eventually, 61 to 63. But Warlock is Warlock's role in that, he's in it. But his role in that is, um, well, Corpse. Oh. Okay. Well, hey, you do what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, this is like around 1980, so. And basically anything with Warlock in the the 80s is either flashback or, you know, look at this dead body. Well, so what are your thoughts on the the closing of this first major chapter of Warlock, or second, if you want to include the prologue? Yeah. Well, I will say this. I mean, despite my complaints about the characters, you know, Ellie, David, and Jason and their use, they did do what they planned on doing. I mean, like we said, even if nothing else had happened, even the Starlin stuff never happened, we got this whole Warlock-Jesus analogy from the beginning of him being sent down 
to the end of his death and crucifixion, death and resurrection. They actually did it whole way through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does make at least a somewhat not. I mean, granted, it's seventies comics, so it's not always going to be a fully. It doesn't always fit all together, but for the most part, you can read all that from Marvel Premier One through Warlock One through Eight and these three Hulk issues, and you can get a full story. You know, this whole Counter Earth saga. It's all that, you know, it all is there. So they got to tell the story, you know, the story they wanted to tell is told. And you don't really have comics like this anymore. I mean, I think it was even experimental in the 70s, which is maybe why they had trouble keeping the sales up. You couldn't do a religious metaphor or a theological metaphor today. Things are too sectarian and divisive and argumentative. Oh, yeah. And Um, everyone's offended by everything. Right. Fandom talks to itself way too much now. I mean, here in the 70s, People get their comics, and they read their comics, and they talk to their occasional friends who might read the same comics. But other than you know writing in letters and responding to letter writers and that sort of thing, there wasn't. A, and you know, you had some organized fandom like fanzines and such. Yeah, but, fanzines and appas. But to be fair, for things like that, a you have a much more limited amount of people who are in one. Right. And then usually for like an appa, if you know what that is. I used to do. Okay, so you know what it is then, at least. I used to know what one was. Oh, I think it used to do, like, used to do one. I, I used to know. Yeah, basically, it's uh, Amateur Press Alliance. Basically, you whatever the topic is, you know, in this case, obviously, we're talking about a comic one, and then everyone who's involved in it basically writes up their own little mini fanzine or artwork or story, you know, fan fiction story or whatever it is they're doing under that topic, and sends it in to the person who's in charge, you know, like a central mailer, and they have to make, a, like, X amount of copies of it. You know, let's say, so let's see if you have 20 people in it, you make 20 copies of your little thing, you send it into them, and then they put them all together, and then you get sent back out. So then you get a like, booklet that has your contribution and one of each of everyone else's. Gotcha. So you can communicate that way, because then you comment back and forth on like, what, I, what I read and you said last time. But you're still, A, you got usually a period of at least one or two months, if not more, in between each one being done. Because that's a long, that's a, that's, there's some work and effort into it. And then also, you have to, uh, there's only a limited number of people you can talk to. You know, it's not, like you said, it's not instantaneous to everybody in the world. Right. And I think, honestly, I'm thinking that the less instantaneous communication can be, I think the better off the human race can be a little bit, actually. Like, if you're trying to have a dialogue with someone, text only communication is one of the worst ways to do it because there's so little that's conveyed. At least in delayed, long form written communication, you have a chance to like put your entire thought on a page. Well, it's not just that. I mean, it's basically in anything, moderate a bit. Yeah. Yeah, there's I that mean, too. I mean, water's good for you, you know? But you don't want to, you can't just live on water and only drink water and drink 20 gallons a day. You could try. <laughs> no, no, you're right. But, you know, um, there's nothing, you know, just like you should also not drink, never drink water. Right. You know, there's a moderation. It's in things like that. It's like, yeah, I text with my wife plenty of times like, about things. That's usually like if I'm at work or, you know, at the store real quick. And I'm like, do we need this? But, yeah. You know, we don't always only talk through text because... And that that kind of stuff is kind of what text, I think, was made for, was, you know, short, instant communications. You have, like, nuanced conversations trying to happen over text, and it just, you know, so much meaning is lost and twisted over over text. But anyways, um, so the whole religious metaphor that this book has been, 
other than the setup for Starlin and the way that Starlin's book is set up, I think is a really interesting take on this whole Christian metaphor. Yes, but it still is the same. I mean, it basically he doesn't go with the same thing. It's because the story does not just a ruin for everybody. Not, I'm not going to go completely what it says, but I mean, basically we don't get a rehash. He doesn't try and be Space Jesus on another, on another planet exactly. Yeah, what I was going to say is that other than the setup, which again is is a really cool twist in the metaphor, the character in the book becomes something very, very different. But I think, though, if you're going to continue on the character, you would have to. Because doing the Jesus metaphor once with the character, okay, that's a cool idea. It's a cool, you know, see what you're going to do with it, see where I'm going to go. But we know where it's going to go. Right. Now, but they've done it, and now they did it. There, there, is no Je- there is no sequel to Jesus out there. Yeah, and what, are you going to do it again, and again, and again, and again? So, this, like I said, this sort of thing is just not done very much anymore. It's very, very cool that it's here. I like that it's here, even as an atheist. You know, I, I do have um, theological background in my life, and, and I, I get really... When I first read this comic series through, I was really tickled by it. I was like, wow, look at all the stuff that they're doing. That's really, really neat. Yeah, oh no, it's definitely cool. And I think I enjoyed this whole story better than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Because I knew the world, the Starlin stuff from early on. And I kind of had vague ideas about this, but from what I understood, everyone's like, oh yeah, it was much better later on. And yeah, I'm not going to say it probably wasn't much better, but this wasn't horrible. Right. Because the Starlin stuff is what, and the, the Starlin stuff in later is what drew you to do the podcast, right? Oh yeah, you didn't even know this series when you started doing the podcast. I, you I knew it. of it, yeah, but I never really, I never, I had never read it. Yeah, I think I remember from, from some of our early episodes that you had just finished reading ahead or, or something like that. Yeah, I had uh, read it, and I was just interested. You know, I was like, I heard about it, like, oh, this is the issue of Hulk. I know those issues of Hulk where Warlock dies and comes back, so I knew those happened, but. Beyond that, it was just kind of a vague concept. Well, it is definitely a temporal gap of publishing between this and whatever issue is Strange. Is it Strange Tales 180? 178. 178. Strange Tales 178, which is a revival of the numbering from the 60s, even though the numbering from the 60s had been continued in Doctor Strange. Yeah, um. <laughs> which is always amusing when they do that. We're like, we're going to continue the number of the book, but we continue that anyway, but still. Right. So now you have two issue 178s for Strange Tales. One of them where it's Doctor Strange, and one of them where it's years later. Anyways, so, but it's not going to be that long before we get there temporally, because it's an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, and we got to skip ahead to the next Adam Warlock and Thanos. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just going to be, yeah. So we'll be there within a month or two. We're going to be there pretty much. Yeah. From when this comes out. As long as everything goes well. Hopefully. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. It would be a good fight, though. 
Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Guess what? It's feedback begging time again, where I beg you, please do something feedback-wise. What can you do? Well, you can go on iTunes and leave us a review. Preferably five stars, but I'll take anything at this point. You can also send us an email for your thoughts, criticisms, poems, whatever. Resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com Go visit our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com New episodes are posted up there, images from the issues we cover, and whatever random stuff I think of. You can also find similar things on our Facebook page. Just type in Resurrections into the Facebook search box and it'll help you find it. Also, this show is on Twitter now. It has an official Twitter feed, at AdamThanosPod. Got a few more names to thank for liking our Facebook page, and these actually will be the last few, because that's it. No one else has liked the page. So, if you want to be like Stacy Holman, Michael Seibert, S. Laura Xavier, and Emmanuel Tosi, and hear your name said on the show... Go like that Facebook page. Also, when I put episode 55 up on Twitter, that post was liked by Tony Wolf and liked and retweeted by Fork Found Reviews. Thanks to all of you. We're now at the Friends and Enemies section of the show. In case you didn't know, the comic we covered this episode had a cover date of August 1974. So we're going to give a brief mention to the other comics that had that same cover date that Adam Warlock or Thanos have appeared in before. All right, so, and since I forgot to contact John in time to have this done with him, once again, pitch-hitting is my lovely wife, Kim. Hello, lovely wife, Kim. Hello. Okay, so we're going to start off. Kim? Okay. So, uh, I'm just supposed to read these things in bold, so excuse me if I stutter. The Avengers, 1963, number 126. All the sounds and sights of death. By Steve Englehart, Bob Brown, and Dave Cockrum. Oh, wow. Just way too many jokes I can make with that name. If I was more familiar with comics, maybe not, but that one is pretty good. Uh, who names her kid that? That's me. That's their last name. They didn't name him anything. They all had that name. That's when you change your name. The Avengers reluctantly agree to help the ambassador of Red Yarda, whose embassy has been threatened by Solar and Claw. Okay, so I'm looking at the cover, and, well, kind of looks like a Batman episode to me. I'm, I'm waiting for the kapow, big energy field in the center. I'm always fascinated by the artwork, but <laughs> I'm also more fascinated by the deranged graphics that they sometimes use. Ooh, 25 cents. I know. Although, based on the movies you've seen already, you can at least have an idea who half these people are, right? <laughs> yeah, including Captain America line, they're dead. Yeah. 
And the other two, I mean, I'm assuming you only know two other ones. I see Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, was that Daredevil? That one? Yeah. That's the Black Panther. Black Panther. Remember we saw the t-shirt used? There was a t-shirt yes. That's the Black Panther. Yes. And I see Thor. Yep. Um, yep, yeah, you're right. That's pretty much all I recognize. Yeah. Actually, if we ever do watch Avengers Age of Ultron, <laughs> these three actually, well, these two definitely make an appearance in there. And then he's in the new Captain America movie. Okay. Daredevil, number 112, Death of a Nation, by Steve Gerber, Gene Colan, and Frank Giacoya. Finally, all is in readiness. Mandrill and Black Spectre stand poised to execute one of the greatest coups in history. Now, only if that nuisance Daredevil would take a hint. And, like the last issue of Daredevil, this you can also find out more about this one on the Om the Gun podcast, Shanna Showcase, number 7. Oh, it looks like they're about to get involved in a very, very, very nice kiss. It's a big monkey. Well, it just makes more sense then. Yeah. Limbs and sneakers and tights and claws of flying. <laughs> Fantastic Four, so the first series, 1961, number 149, To Love, Honor, and Destroy, by Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. The Submariner has declared war on the surface world as vengeance for what Mr. Fantastic has done to Sue and Franklin. The Fantastic Four springs into action to fight Nemo and his band of sea monsters. With the help of Thundra, can the FF protect the shore and its inhabitants while attempting to save the marriage of Reed and Sue? And for a better description of that issue, go listen to Fantastic Cast episode 183. And that's the cover. Who's sitting on Godzilla? That's the Submariner. Basically think Aquaman, but more pissed off. Okay. Why is he sitting on Godzilla? It's a sea monster. Oh. Looks like Godzilla. It does kind of look like Godzilla. I'm always amused at the thing. The thing, to me, looks like the rock. The talking rock mountain from uh, the never-ending story. I can see that. Well, he is made of rock, so yeah. He came first, obviously. The thing. Well. Not in my head. <laughs> yeah. Iron Man, 1968, number 69, Confrontation, by Mike Frederick, George Tuska, and Mike Esposito. Fitted with a new, stronger face mask, Iron Man takes another pass at the Mandarin's undersea headquarters. Meanwhile, Roxy's search for Eddie March's brother gets underway. Actually, nothing really crazy about this one. Just no. Just him standing there. But I do like how at this time they have, like, let's see how many words we can fit on there. <laughs> We got stuff here, we got stuff here, we got stuff here. And I think this is during the time period where they gave him a nose on his mask. Oh. Which is just... He didn't have a nose before? No, it just goes kind of flat over. It's a, man. Mm -hmm. it's not a face mask. It's not like it's a... You know, it's armor. And finally we got Thor, number 226, The Battle Beyond, by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, Mike Esposito, and Dave Hunt. Galactus is returning in the world cowers of trepidation, but though the arrival of his flaming herald Fire Lord be most ominous, Galactus's intentions are not what they seem. I like how like, they do the Thor solicitation, they try and make it sound like Thor talking. Be most ominous. He's fuchsia. He's fuchsia and he looks like he has one of those old-fashioned hair dryers on his head. And he's wearing shorts. <laughs> and he's wearing shorts with sandals with socks. Actually, he's wearing a skirt. A metal skirt. How very Scottish of him. Yes. 
Or actually, I have every Kanye West of them. <laughs> Kanye West wore skirts? Kanye West wore a, a leather paneled skirt at the Madison Square Garden money raise for uh, Sandy. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, it was very inappropriate and weird looking. And it actually looked a lot like that, except it wasn't fuchsia. Actually, I heard somewhere the difference between a skirt and a kilt. Lack of underwear. Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. You're not supposed to, uh, not supposed to be wearing any knickers underneath your kilt. The more you know. All right. Thank you. Say goodbye, Kim. Goodbye, Kim. All right, people, so don't be too sad for John, because even though this section of Adam is over, John will be back with the next section for Jim Starlin. Yay! And that's going to get interesting. And trippy. Very trippy. In fact, you should just bring your own drugs. And there will be clowns. (laughs) Oh, yes, there will be clowns. Do you know about that clown issue, by the way? Yeah, I've read the series. Okay, good. I was making sure. Oh, that's right, you have. Okay. Well, anyone who hasn't, prepare for clowns. Say goodnight, John. Goodnight, John. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Sure. Voice coming up. Mine is. How about yours? Say something. Hello. Bork, 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 bork. Perfect.